0: Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. This feels good. This feels really good. Thanks for being here today, church. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today. And here's the thing. <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you to do anything today. I'm not trying to motivate you. I just want you to see something about Jesus Christ and just behold what Jesus wants to do to you. Okay, That's all. That's all I'm trying to do today. We're gonna learn something about discipleship today. We're gonna learn something about the beauty of Jesus as our King, but mostly I just want you to behold what Jesus wants to do with you. Let me pray as we get going. God, I'm thankful to be with your body, the church. I'm thankful for uh, that piece of your body that meets here on Houston Levy, the Highland Church. And I'm thankful for those who are scattered around the world watching with us this morning. I'm thankful for those in this room, God, I pray that in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would take these ancient words and you would speak a word to us that's just for us this morning. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to tell you a story. And what I want you to do as you listen to this story is imagine that you're not a believer. Imagine that you're not somebody who's given their life to Jesus Christ. And then I want you to hear this story and try to make sense of it. Althea Brown was born not far from here. She's born in Mississippi, not very far away. She taught in a little one room schoolhouse in Pikeville, Tennessee. Again, not, not too far from here. She's born in the late 19th century, born, born to freed slaves, becomes a teacher, a Bible school teacher. And then in her young 20s, she leaves all that. And she's a beloved teacher. I mean, everybody loves Althea. She leaves all that. And she goes to become a missionary in the Congo. And she's not there long, living in this little compound with a few other missionaries on this team, doing work out among the villages in the Congo. She's not there long. when one night, this runner stumbles into the compound, and he's holding a branch in his hand. And the branch is dripping red with blood. And between breaths, he finally gets out that this blood is the blood of missionaries in a nearby village, a missionary that had been killed by a rebel arrow. And then he begins to explain that behind him, there is a group, a force that is marching towards this village and this compound with orders from the king, King Lukanga, to behead every missionary in the country. By the next night, their little compound is surrounded. They look out, warriors, as far as they can see around the compound. And this is what she says. She said, none of us expected to see the rising of another sun. Every breath we took was a prayer for deliverance. The hours until dawn seemed endless. And then we sang the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praising all creatures here below. Okay, since you're not a believer, remember, does that story make any sense? I mean, she leaves everything, her comfortable life here where she's beloved. She goes to be a missionary in the Congo She's surrounded, standing above the blood of missionaries from a nearby village, surrounded with other missionaries by warriors all around, and she's singing, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. So, you know, is that an act of ignorance, foolishness, or faith, right? Or we might put it like this, is that blindness, which I think so many in our world would hear that story and believe it is, man, what, why couldn't she see what was all around her? So is that an act of blindness or sight? All right, we're continuing our series in the good news of Mark. We'll come back to Althea. We're continuing our series in the good news of Mark. And here's, here's what we know about Mark. Mark desperately wants you to see. One of the first words in Mark, Mark 1, (laughs) 2, Chapter 1, verse 2 starts with this, look, look. Mark desperately wants us to see, just pay attention to this, Jesus heals someone and the people say, we have never seen anything like this. He heals somebody else and he tells them, stand up here, step up where the people can see you. And yet not everybody sees They're not making sense of what Jesus is doing like he wants them to. And so he tells stories so that they can look and see. But they still don't understand. And exasperated in the story just before this one, a story about the disciples immediately after Jesus feeds 4,000 and the disciples don't see what they're supposed to see, he looks at them and he says, don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? So what is it he wants us to see? All right, so this series is all about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how Mark 1, 1, the first verse in Mark starts, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you may remember almost a year ago when we started this series, we looked at all of the words that surround that idea, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's all these words in the first chapter of Mark that are that are clue words for what's to come later on in the story. And we threw those words up in a picture. You remember this? We're going to throw it up on the screen now. This was the picture from almost a year ago when we started this story of all of these words that kind of make up the fabric or the picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, at the center, again, one of the very first words that Mark gives us is this word about Jesus, which is not his last name, and that is that Jesus is the Christ, the King. It is really clear as soon as you open the book of Mark that what Mark wants you to see is that Jesus is king. He's Christ. He's the anointed one of God. All right. Come with me to Mark 8. Remember, what Mark wants us to see there at the center, like, you know, you take this magnifying glass or this kind of zoom lens. We're, we're zooming in on Jesus as the Christ. It, we think that's, that's what he wants us to see. All right, so look at this. Mark chapter 8. It seems like the disciples see what they're supposed to see. Look at this. Starting in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ. And Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. All right, we think Peter gets it, right? He has seen what he's supposed to see. He sees that Jesus is king, that he's Christ. Oh, this is great. Like, we've arrived. He sees what he's supposed to see. But then do do you know what happens next? Look at this. Look at this. And then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things, Be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the legal experts, and be killed. And then after three days, to rise from the dead. And he said this plainly so they can see it. But Peter took hold of Jesus, scolding him, began to correct him. And Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples. And then he sternly corrected, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking God's thoughts. But human thoughts, what? You know, what's he not not getting here? I thought that he had seen the thing he was supposed to see. The thing at the the middle of the bullseye, right? Like he had zoomed in, he had seen the thing. And Jesus says, you still don't get it? All right. This This scene is probably like the climactic scene of the Gospel of Mark. And just before this story, just before this scene, there is another story that Mark places right before this one to help us to understand this story, but really to help us to understand a lot about Jesus and about us as his disciples. So if, you're, if you've got your Bible open in your lap, just go up a little bit or flip back a page. If you're on your device, just scroll up just a little bit. Let me show you this. This is starting in verse 22. All right, 22. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man's hand, Jesus led him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on the man, he asked him, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees. Only they're walking around. And then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again. That's a process. Again. And he looked with his eyes wide open. His sight was restored. And he could see everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, this is a really fascinating story. And... Um, there's a couple rabbit trails I'd like to travel down. I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try not to. Okay, this is the only miracle of Jesus that does not work the first time. takes another pass to make contact, another swing to make good contact with this one. He kind of heals him the first time, and then he fully heals him the second time. The first time he can kind of see, the second time he can fully see. It's a process. And so we could, again, go down some rabbit trails about why that happens in this case. But here's here's what I want you to think through with me. Why does Mark place this story right here before this confession from Peter about what Peter sees? And right after this story where the disciples fail to see what they're supposed to see. Remember, he says just before this, don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? So this story is this transition that's helping us to understand something about disciples on one side, disciples on the other side. In other words, what it means to be a disciple. This story is this big clue about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, disciple, a fancy word, for somebody who's following Jesus. And we tend to think about discipleship as things that we do on a path or on a journey of getting to some destination of being more and more Christ-like. And yes, that's kind of it. But if this story is this important clue about what discipleship really is, it's saying something else. You know, it's saying that discipleship is a process through which Jesus works on us to help us see what he wants us to see. Uh, Let's throw up this chart behind me, and let me kind of map out what's happening in chapter 8 of Mark. Okay. Chapter 8 starts with the, heal, the feeding sorry, of the 4,000, and then Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. They fail to understand something important about Jesus that happens there, and he says, Don't you have eyes? Why can't you see? So, blindness. That's how Mark 8 starts. So think about the man that is brought to Jesus, led by others, who is blind when he comes. And then you have this confession from Peter that you're the Christ, and we think this means full sight. He's arrived at the destination of discipleship. He is zoomed in on the thing at the center of the bullseye, Jesus is Christ. But then Jesus scolds him because he's still not seeing what he's supposed to see. So he's only got what? He's got partial sight at this point. Uh, he sees people like trees walking around. So he's still not seeing what he's supposed to see. Well, what's he supposed to see if not that? If not that Jesus is king, what else is there? All right, well, look back at this story. There's a clue in the story. Did you notice this? Verse 25. The man looked with his eyes the second time, wide open. His sight was restored, and he could see everything clearly. He could see everything clearly. Okay, so what is full sight? Or what does Jesus want to do in us? Or, you might say it like this, what is discipleship? I think this story helps us to see that discipleship is the process. The process, takes a couple times, the process of Jesus helping us to see what He wants us to see. And namely, not only Him, but through Him, everything else. That Jesus becomes not the thing underneath our magnifying glass or our zoom lens that we're zooming in on and getting close to, but Jesus becomes the spectacles or the lenses we put on to see everything else. And the discipleship is not just this promise of coming to see Jesus more clearly, but as you see Jesus more clearly, seeing the world around you more clearly too. Seeing the world like he wants you to see. I mean, this is so important too. I mean, the, the goal of discipleship is not only to see Jesus, but to make better sense of the world because you see Him like He wants you to see Him. Now, to those unbelievers out there, and you imagined yourself to be that one, to the unbelievers in your life, this is a great promise. That you can make sense of a world that makes no sense if you see Jesus like he wants you to see him. And that's what he goes on to explain next. But before we go there, let me just let me try to illustrate this with a, with a picture here. Let me, let's just throw this picture up. And now I just want to hear your response. Ah... Uh. Right. Okay, for those watching online, this is a picture of our beloved bridge in Memphis. The I-40 bridge um, that broke. You see that big crack there, one of the main beams in this bridge broke. And um, you know the thing about this is this, it's the main thoroughfare coming into Memphis. It's been a nightmare. Traffic over the bridge and then under the bridge for a while was totally shut down. It's been kind of a nightmare in our city for sure. You know one of the Really uncomfortable things, though, about this story is that it turns out the bridge has been broken for at least two years. I mean, how many of you have driven over that bridge in the last two years? Ugh. And one of the threads of this story was that there was a fella whose job it was to inspect the bridge. And uh, he does this yearly. And I don't know this guy. He's probably a great guy. Um, He's got one job, and it's to make sure there's no cracks in the bridge. (laughs) And um, he missed that crack. And so, you know, I'm not a vindictive guy. He lost his job. That seems fair. Um, This is one job. I mean, cracks in the bridge. You know, here's here's the thing about about this, though. You know, he, he missed that. And so what are they doing now? Well, they're going back and they're re-inspecting every bridge in Arkansas that he had inspected because if he missed this crack, what else did he miss? You know, if he couldn't see this, what else did he miss? And I think that's, a, that's the thing that Mark and Jesus are trying to get us to understand here, right? Like, I want you to see me so that you'll see everything else I want you to see like I want you to see it so you won't miss what I, what I want you to see in the world around you. And that's where he goes next. So let me, let me read the rest of this passage, the rest of Mark 8, and then we're just going to talk about it. And again, I want you to do that same exercise we did at the beginning with Althea Brown's story. Imagine that you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, that you don't see Jesus as your king, and then listen to these words and ask yourself if these make any sense. Listen to this. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me, be my disciple, follow me. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. I mean, why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me, and my words, in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. I mean, if you don't see Jesus as your king, that makes no sense. And if I was going to summarize it for believers, what I would say here is this is Jesus saying that discipleship is a process of me, Jesus, helping you to see everything in your life like I want you to see it. Let's just just look at them one by one. Look at this, verse 34. All who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. If I see Jesus clearly, I'm going to see sacrifice more clearly. That's what saying no to yourself is, sacrifice. 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 I'm telling you, we live in a world that teaches us to say no to everyone else and yes to ourselves. Right? Self validation, self fulfillment, that's the highest virtue. You got to be happy. You got to do you. We're taught to say yes to ourselves. You know, we had um, Life-Giving Sunday a couple weeks ago. It's one of the best Sundays of the year. We give a bunch of money away to really great missionaries and ministries all over the world. I came up here a couple weeks ago, the week after that, and I told you that our goal for the year was about half a million dollars, and you had given, at that time, about $90,000 beyond our goal of a half million dollars that we're just going to give away. You know what we've, what our number is now? You've, you've given over $145,000 beyond our goal of about a half a million dollars. You can clap about that. Yeah, <laughs> You know what that is? That is a miracle of God. And that's also a bunch of people saying no to themselves. You know what you could have done with all that money? You could have given it to your preacher. <laughs> you could have bought a new car. I mean, there's so many things you could have done for you with all that money. And you said no to yourself because you believe something about Jesus. You see something in him that's worth saying no to yourself about. I was walking through the hallways earlier, just praying over our Sunday school classes. We're back at Sunday school. I hope you'll come join us if you're online and come back for Sunday school. I ran into one of our Sunday school teachers this morning. He was here early, about an hour early, preparing for class. And I talked to him for a moment and I said, you know, I realized that it was a pretty like simple or painless decision for us to be like, Sunday school class is back on. But for the teachers, there's nothing simple about that. You know, they haven't done this for 15 months. They gotta get back in the groove. There's a lot of preparation they put into all of that. And I I mentioned that to him. And what he said to me in summary was, It's not about me. I'm happy to do it. And he's got other things he could do on a Saturday than prepare a lesson than a Sunday morning. They get up here an hour early. Who says no to themselves? The people who see Jesus for what he really is. Let me show you something else. Look at this. <clears throat> if you go on, verse, starting in verse 35, all who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. And he's talking about suffering. If I see Jesus clearly, I'm going to see the suffering in my life more clearly. Now think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul thought Jesus was a scam and a hoax and he was out to get him. And then he has this experience of what? Seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus totally changes his life. He's eventually shipwrecked. He's eventually stoned by rocks, okay? He's bitten by a snake. He's run out of town again and again. He suffers for what he sees in Jesus and this is what he says about it. He says our temporary minor problems Are producing an eternal stockpile of glory for us that's beyond all comparison? And you see suffering differently when you see Jesus the way he wants you to see him. Or look at this line. He goes on, verse 37. Sorry, 36. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? He's talking about what's valuable in your life changes when you see Jesus for what he really is. Uh, Y'all know that Breschen lost his grandmother a few weeks ago. Loved her a lot. And um, Breschen sent me a picture of his father sitting at the bedside of his mother, Breschen's grandmother. as She was in her last moments. And uh, his head was uh, just nuzzled up against her shoulder, and some of you know that, that Breshen's dad has had some real health struggles in recent years, and sometimes some things aren't totally clear to him anymore. And I was just so struck. Breshen texts me and he says, Dad won't leave her side. And it just hit me that some things in his mind are not clear anymore, but the most important things are Like He is not going to miss the moment his mother goes to glory. When we see Jesus as we're supposed to see him, what is valuable in life changes. And lastly, let me show you one more. The last thing he says, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this unfaithful and sinful generation. So, the people who don't see the world like they're supposed to see it, the people who say yes to themselves, the people who don't sacrifice for Jesus, the people who value the wrong things, right? Then the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Remember what Paul said? Paul said this He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's own power for the salvation of all who have faith in him. Don't don't you want to be like that? Isn't that how you want to be? I mean, seeing suffering and sacrifice like you're supposed to, seeing what's important like you're supposed to, not being ashamed to share the good news of Jesus because it's so good to you. You are so overwhelmed by His goodness that you're not ashamed anymore. When we see Jesus like we're supposed to see Him, we see everything else like we're supposed to see it. Here's the thing. I'm not asking you to do anything today. You gave $145,000 beyond our goal. I'll ask you to do something next week. This is what Jesus wants to do for you. His desire and his ability, his power is to come to you, take you by the face. Take your face in his hands and rub your eyes until you see this world as he wants you to see. And if you're if you are watching online with us and you don't know Jesus and your life doesn't make sense, there's a connection. <laughs> We want to introduce you to Jesus. We want you to see him. If you're in this room, you don't know Jesus. You haven't seen Jesus like you think he wants you to. Man, we'd love to baptize you in this water behind me. I'd love to do that this morning. You can come down. And then for the rest of us, we're going to take a meal right now. And maybe you grabbed it on your way in. If you didn't, sneak back there and grab, grab communion as we finish our time together. And here's why we take this meal. <laughs> Every week we take this meal into our bodies because it helps us to see what's really important. We see that we serve a king. We have a king who died that we may have life, who was raised that we might be raised. And we see the world better because we see him. Let's pray as we take that meal together. God, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus King. And I pray that you give us eyes to see, that we may behold him in his glory and splendor, and that through him we might see everything as you would have us to see it. God, I I recognize that what that means is that we're humble, because our discipleship, our journey to seeing as you want us to see is a process. But there's also a great promise and great hope, that you will continue to work on us until we see as you would have us to see. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take this meal together.